I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. You won't hear me laughing as I terminate your day. That's a Grace Jones mm -hmm. reference. The song is called... Corporate Cannibal. Corporate Cannibal. Digital Criminal. That's a good song. It is a very good song. Happy Pride. Um, apple Pie. Apple Pie. Yeah, it's, I keep forgetting. We've kind of been uh, out of that bubble. I was going to ask you what Pride means to you. Or do you have memories of Pride? <clears throat> uh, yeah, I think I have very positive memories of Pride in Minneapolis. Because then it, there, it felt like there was a lot more um, camaraderie than in Los Angeles which is impossible to get around in. Well, Los Angeles Pride is just like, I mean, it's just a bunch of people congregated in, a, in like that park in West Hollywood. Uh, it just kind of feels like chaos. There really isn't, there are vendors, but it's not so much information as it is like a party. Versus Twin Cities Pride, I have to say I also really enjoyed because it would be held at Loring Park Mm -hmm. And then there's a huge, like the biggest gay bar, like right across the, the way. Mm -hmm. So they would block like, they kind of like a block party. And then there'd be pretty cool entertainers at the Pride Festival. And then the gay bar would have like their own thing mm -hmm. in the evening. So it was a really, I have very fond memories of Twin Cities Pride as well. And it's not like that was never chaotic, but it just, yeah, LA is uh, a beast. Yeah, logistically, it's just, not, for me, not worth the energy anymore. When I was in college in the 90s, we would come out here for Pride. Mm -hmm. And that was fun because I was, like, not 21 yet. And, you know, seeing all these gay people was very exciting. And, um, yeah, it, just, it was more exciting than it is, you know, 23 years later. And then my very first Pride was in Vegas. Which was indoors because it's so damn hot. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking that was very interesting. Because they had a big space. It was inside of like a stadium. But there, there weren't that many people to attend. So it was sparsely populated. And then one year I recall it being made like at a park. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I have kind of fond memories. But nowadays, I, the idea of having to like make my way. Which we don't even live that far from where it is. I, d I think I've come to, I really dislike any time where everybody's expected to do the same thing at the same time in the same place, you know, like holidays. Uh, there, there's just not enough space to support all of that. And it, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, and I don't like the pressure to, you know, like. Have fun. You gotta have fun. Yeah, like, it's just everyone going hard. For. But that's everything. Yeah. It's like, it's Taco Tuesday, bleh, or it's whatever. Like, everyone just goes crazy. I don't. But I was going to say, I was at the grocery store this morning, and even the damn grocery store, granted it's a grocery store in West Hollywood, had like a pride section. Of course. Yeah. And they had sort of put like, you know, because the grocery store is a hodgepodge of things. They just had all kinds of rainbow colored things like in like a, like, like a, like a central display. <laughs> but it was very random things like a soda that's rainbow shaped. And then like they had like hair accessories that were, it was just like random things all piled up into one. And then I kind of felt gross. Like, I mean, I, I work in marketing, so it's like, I get it. Like an opportunity to, you know, of course, businesses want you to think they're supporting, but it's also an opportunity to make more money. And of course there's sort of like PR value and that kind of stuff. But it, do, it, it does feel like I'm being pandered to. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I guess if you really care about these things, then why don't you sell these items year round? Mm-hmm. Of course, there probably isn't a desire for it. Like people only get crazy in June, but for rainbow shit. But no, I almost I like the offshoots of things. Like I think Palm Springs Pride is a little more. Uh, con you can navigate it a bit easier. Except then again, you know, there's a strip where all the gay bars are in one place, and unless you go really early, getting in is impossible. And well, I think that's the difference in areas where there's like a gay ghetto then pride is easier because everything can sort of be there. But now that West Hollywood is, it doesn't, I mean, it's still like the gayest part of LA, but yeah, it just sort of feels like in the midst of all this chaos and congestion, we're going to have like a hundred thousand people squeeze into this park. And then these concerts, you know, LA pride gets pretty big entertainers. So then it's like, well, I wouldn't even think about trying to go and see Christina Aguilera because there will be a million people there going crazy. But um, moving on. But you know, we went out last night, 
which was actually very refreshing because it didn't feel... Well, it was not as busy. Like, it was probably the least busy I've ever seen it at Precinct, the gay bar in downtown LA, on a Friday night. Because it was Sugar Tank, which is a popular night. Saturday night. Last night was Saturday? Uh Oh, God. Today's Sunday. Yeah, so it wasn't busy for a Saturday night, which was actually really nice. Mm -hmm. But I'm assuming because... It was not not busy. It wasn't empty, but, you know, normally on Sugar Tank night, it's busy. Mm -hmm. But I think there were a lot of people who were in WeHo because Mm -hmm. of Pride. But moving on, I was out and about this morning, and I witnessed a couple having a pretty violent fight in public. Mm Mm-hmm. They weren't hitting each other, but the man, it was a man and a woman, and the man was getting very upset and was hitting himself and mm-hmm. was bleeding everywhere, and then they were screaming at the top of their lungs. And I was just thinking, like, it's always so sad to see... Like, everyone has disagreements and arguments and disputes, and they can get heated. And we've certainly had heated discussions and arguments. But I think to take it, like, outside figuratively and literally like where everyone can hear it getting wild in the streets i just think that's so unfortunate because to me that would be sort of like i mean that's crossing a line Mm -hmm. like you screaming at me in public like because i think there are anger management issues associated with that and Mm -hmm. like a lack of self-awareness and there are so many things attached to like i'm going to scream at my at the top of my lungs at you in public and act crazy and violent yeah that really made me feel weird. Well, yeah. But uh, moving on. So RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star 7, the winter season. We mm-hmm. watched episode 4, which was titled Fairy Tale Justice. Uh, so their challenge was to recreate like a courtroom show. Mm-hmm. And then they had two like plaintiffs or defendants or whatever one was like the, so they were split into two groups mm-hmm. so four of them did like the three little pigs and then four of them did goldilocks and the three bears and it was kind of more improv it was improv but i do have to say i mean they were they were all good enough that it felt scripted yeah so it, you know the benefit of watching an all winter season is you know even for the ones who people might think are the weakest they're still more competent than a regular season so it was kind of fun to watch all of them do their thing, and they were all competent. Yeah, it just felt flat. It, it felt, felt flat. It felt long. And I think what made it feel even more flat is Michelle Visage is not very engaging. Like No. She's just kind of... It's funny that she always criticizes everyone for not pushing boundaries and being more unique, but then she is always the same. She's one note, yeah. She is so one note. and Yeah. But um, the top two... Were Jinx Monsoon and the Vivian. And they lip synced to a remix of Whitney Houston's song Love Will Save the Day, mm-hmm. which is a song I loved in the late 80s. Neither of them did it justice at all, but the Vivian won. Mm-hmm. So now she can block someone. And she blocked Monet Exchange. Because Monet got a star the very first episode. Mm-hmm. And then the next three episodes, or and then the following two episodes, no one blocked her. But she also hasn't been in the top since then. So but she like, hasn't been in the top. So I don't know if I would have. It, it was so her reaction to it was so unappealing. Yeah, like how dare you give me this? And it's like, girl, that makes me want them to give it to you. Right. It, it's. Whatever. For my money, I would have probably given it to Shay or Trinity because I feel like those two are more likely to be in the top again. Yeah. I think Monet being in the top was kind of a fluke. But that's that. Oh, Jeffrey Board Chapman was a judge. Extra special guest judge. It's like, no, this is just a kind of a regular schmegular guest judge. Yeah. Right? And then he said, like, it's so good to be back. Like, okay. Okay, yeah. Since they scared your ass away already. Um, that, I'm only mentioning it because it happened. Like the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp thing. Oh, yeah. That's finally come to a... It's conclusion. The only thing I wanted to say, because I don't know much about the case. I did read about it and I get the gist of it, mm-hmm. but I don't have opinions because I don't know these people and I didn't look at all the facts. So I'm not going to say who is right and who's wrong. What I did want to say is like listening to people talk about it, especially women, because some people, some coworkers were talking about it. Then my mom has been watching it, had been watching it every day and she was telling me about it. And then I was at the grocery store a couple days ago and like these women in line while I was waiting were talking about it. 
And they were all like very anti Amber Heard. Which is like, yes, and there are more people talking about that than the possible uh, revocation of uh, Roe versus Wade. <laughs> you know, I mean, I get it. It's popular, it's in the news, and, you know, it's kind of like fluff, but it, yeah, it's just so interesting how people have such strong opinions and I don't even know that people are following the case that closely. Maybe they are and they, and they know more facts than I do. But to me, it just seems weird. Like these are two rich, famous people who had a shitty relationship clearly because it's devolved to this. Yeah. But there, it seems like there's always this attraction for celebrity, ugly celebrity, um, divorces or court cases. Yeah. But uh, I think because people are curious. Yes. And but the thing they're curious about is the like these celebrity lies, but then they don't apply that same logic to their um, processing of it. Like, mm-hmm. if you work at Costco and you're married to a truck driver and y'all live in, like, middle America in an average three-bedroom home. Paint the picture. There you go. Right? And you don't have, like, you maybe have, like, $2,000 saved, no college money for your kids, barely getting by... It's like, you don't know what it's like to be beautiful, rich. No, but it's true. Like, beautiful, rich, and famous. Sure. So it's like, people judge, like, these people against their own rubric. And it's like, well, yeah, if you make $40,000 a year, and you have to pay your wife $800 a month in spousal support, you might have to kill her. But it's like Johnny Depp paying someone $15 million, or her, whatever, is like, well, that's not like they're going to be homeless. They'll recover. They'll be millionaires still. So it's just funny listening to people talk like these are not normal people. And also celebrities like that probably don't even, it's not like we spend every day together or like most couples Mm -hmm. where there's a lot of opportunity to drive each other crazy and really get to know the person and all their little fucking tics that, you know, like you, you get very personal with people and it makes sense that it, it's just interesting. Like, I don't think Amber Heard and Johnny Depp spent every day at home together, like, preparing dinners, cleaning house, no, and I think, talking about their feelings. I, <laughs> I think that they both did think, you know, they're both kind of to blame for the situation they ended up in, but uh, from my understanding of it. But I, what was more interesting was I read, I think it was when I was coming back from Cannes, uh, an article in Vanity Fair comparing this case to... Uh, the divorce of, uh, well, it wasn't a divorce, uh, Sandra Locke and suing Clint Eastwood for palimony in 1989 oh, yeah, after a 13-year relationship. And it really made me want to read Sandra Locke's memoir, uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Very Ugly. And she's since died of, uh, I think, breast and bone cancer several years ago. But uh, the situation where the public sides with the more powerful, popular right. uh, male figure always uh is interesting. It kind of ruins the the woman's like Sandra Locke's career was pretty much ruined after right. that. And I feel like Amber Heard is going to face an uphill battle trying to make a comeback. Sure. Which maybe she just needs to go to Europe. Like, <laughs> did you read that Morbius is back in theaters? No, I don't know why. I, because apparently, like, it's like I was reading that it's like memes of it or memes from the movie have gone viral, but I haven't seen anything. But I guess my algorithm's off. But um, the studio wants to capitalize on that, and so it's back in theaters, in like a thousand theaters. I thought that was interesting. That's so... Just let it die. <laughs> okay, you wanted to talk about Tribeca. Oh, Tribeca Film Festival starts next week. Um, I have online access, so I'll see a few things. I'm only really excited for the new Andrew Dosen move, but... What do uh, we know him for? Oh, he did that. Uh, it was in my top 10 of, I think, 2017, Where's Kyra, starring Michelle Pfeiffer, that I really liked. Well, speaking of tops, you need to give us um, your top five of May. Yes. Uh, so what's your number five? Or are these in any particular order? They, they were. Uh, I had Top Gun Maverick, which is making oodles of money. Oh, good. Uh, and, you know, we were talking about this with neighbors, actually, about, oh, you must have had nostalgia for the first one. Like, no, as because we watched that recently. The first one's, I think, terrible. Uh, but the, the second one is kind of competently made, and it, it's cheesy, but it's it, it at least has, has some dramatic tension and some characterization, and it, it's enjoyable. Uh, so, yeah, I, I recommend seeing it. Number four, A. Kiara. A. Kiara. A. Kiara. Uh, that uh, was can last year. I tried to get you to watch it. We didn't have time. Uh, Jonas Carpignano's film about this mobster's daughter who gets uh, removed from her family and put into uh, like an adoptee 
it gets adopted by someone else uh, per a court order. Number three, men. Uh, the Alex Garland film. I don't think it's perfect. I think it's a strange metaphorical film, but definitely worth a watch. Number two, Happening. Uh, Audrey Dewan's abortion uh, memoir that uh, won Venice. And your number one pick for May is Emergency. Yes, which we didn't review, but we saw... You watched it with me when uh, out of Sundance about the pair of friends that... Uh, the two young black kids that end up helping that stupid drunk white girl and kind of the terrible night they have. Yeah. And we're very lucky today because you also have a top five for the first half of 2022. Well, because I had to submit a, a list because that's a thing now that... The t you know, top five films of the first half of the year. So anything that played from January 1st to June 30, wait, May, May, 30, 30. May 31st. So number five is compartment number six. Uh, yes, a Finnish film that was at Cannes last year that came out uh, theatrically earlier this year. I liked a lot. Number four, You Won't Be Alone. Uh, with Numi Rapaz and a bunch of other people. We reviewed that. Number six, Memoria. Uh, I mean, number uh, three, sorry. <laughs> uh, the uh, Pitchapong Weirasthical film, also Cannes 2021 with Tilda Swinton. Number two, Vortex. Uh, we reviewed the Gaspar Noe film about a couple dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's. And number one, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yes, which I'm sure one or two of these will probably be on my top ten of the year. Definitely Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. So we don't have any entries in the sorry to this man section, which I guess means we were perfect. No, it just means nothing was Well, if I read through the comments, I'm sure I'll find uh, <laughs> people what, correcting me. What did somebody comment, like, uh, try to correct me? It's Sabin Films is pronounced Saban. Like, okay. Okay. Sure. Thank you kindly. All right, movies uh, that were released we didn't cover after Blue. I still insist that we make time for this this week because uh, it came out. Uh, Friday, technically, but I really liked it. Next, Watcher. Yeah, starring Micah Monroe, uh, directed by Chloe Acuno, uh, who I think directed one of the shorts, the segments of VHS 94. Uh, I didn't really like this. I sat out at Sundance, so I think it was fine. We skipped it. Uh, Micah Monroe stars, who I'm not... Ever since... I liked her in The Guest, but I, don't, I haven't really cared for her in anything since. Even Greta. Next, Neptune Frost. This we should have made time for, but we didn't. Uh, very interesting, weird film... Uh, was at all the festivals last year. TIFF, I think Sundance even, or Sundance this year, TIFF last year, Cannes. Uh, very bizarre, interesting film that I would have to rewatch to speak on. Next, Poser. Uh, this got a lot of attention out of some film festival that opened this week. Noah Dixon and Ori Segev direct. Lastly, The Score. Uh, this sounded interesting. Johnny Flynn, who we saw play uh, David Bowie in that subpar biopic, uh, stars and sings some of the tracks and will poulter and naomi aki uh who i'd be curious who's in um the small act series from steve mcqueen but she's about to be uh, you're, we're about to see her as whitney houston in the coming months so that would have been interesting to see her okay things we watched for fun ozark season four you finished that oh my god i tried to sit through like three episodes and it was hard <sighs> i <f> <sighs> It, it just... Well, you completed, so why don't you... Because you really liked seasons one and two. And three. And three. Yeah. But four, to me, felt like they... They ran it into the ground. They ran into the ground combined with they were limited because of COVID. Yes, and it's just one of those, everything has a ripple effect. And every, like, you know, every bad deed comes back and bites everybody in the ass. And it's, it's just this, you know, kind of a house of cards, if you will, that's always about to topple over. And all it, like, it, you know, and a, a very elaborate game of chess. And it, it really ends on a note of just their wheel of fortune stopped right there. And that's where we're ending the series. Because you could go, it could be the song that never ends. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, something called Our Brothers. Uh, the next three things on this list, uh, you know, can end it, but I still have a few screeners that I've been making my way through. Uh, Rashid Bouchereb's, uh, Our Brothers, which was just okay. Uh, Pamphir? Pamphir is this Ukrainian film from Directors Fortnite that I liked a bit more, uh, about a father. His son burns down this, like, building lot, and he has to go back into smuggling, uh, and to kind of pay for his son's damage, and things get out of control. The Mountain? Uh, this was in Directors Fortnite as well. It was the only it was the only other Directors Fortnite film to win an award this year. Beautifully shot, but uh, starring the director himself, Thomas Salvador, who is like an in, inert screen presence. It basically about this man that retreats into the wilderness and finds uh, strange 
creatures and these mountain fishers. But uh, he was so boring to watch. Sheila Levine is dead and living in New York. So I read the book by Gail Parent, which I thought was excellent. Kind of like, as I said, said I think in last week's podcast about uh, kind of like a female version of Portnoy's Complaint. Uh, and it's like that film is a therapy or Portnoy's Complaint is a therapy session, basically. Sheila Levine is a suicide note, just a long suicide note of this girl, this chubby, unhappy Jewish woman in 1970s New York who wants to kill herself. Uh, but it's very funny, very well written. And the film uh, was directed by Sidney J. Fury, who, of course, uh, did The Entity and also Lady Sings the Blues. Uh, it was a big flop. And even though Gail Parents uh, co-scripted the adaptation, it completely divorces itself from the tone and the structure uh, of the book. But I do really like Ginny Berlin. Uh, I think she's actually too beautiful for what I think that character is supposed to embody. Uh, I didn't realize after looking it up that she, she didn't do another, that was 1975, she didn't do another film until 1990, I think, that the reaction against that film. She was previously nominated for starring in her mother's film, uh, The Heartbreak Kid, which she got an Oscar nod for. Uh, she, of course, is Elaine May's daughter. Uh, and I think at that time, she was just constantly compared to her mother as being and looking and sounding like her mother. Mm. Um, and I, I, can't, I have to believe that if Elaine May had been interested or had wanted to direct Sheila Levine, it would have been a completely different experience. But Gail Parent uh, wrote uh, for Tracy Ullman on Tracy Takes On. She wrote for the Golden Girls for years. Uh, very funny, talented writer. Alice and the Mayor... This won a prize out of Directors Fortnite out of Cannes in 2019, and I had missed it. And it's playing on movie right now, and it stars a couple of actors I really like, uh, Anais de Moustier and Fabrice Lucchini, uh, about this young woman who's basically an intern that uh, the mayor takes a shining to who's about to maybe announce a presidential campaign, and they get potentially too close, but very well written and performed. Something called Angel? You watched this with me yesterday. Yes, it was recommended to us. So there are four of them. Uh, the first one is 1983, directed by Robert Vincent O'Neill, and he directed the sequel, Avenging Angel. Uh, and all four films star a different actress as this girl named Angel, who's in the first one, she's a high school student who uh, is a hooker on Hollywood Boulevard by night, and there's a serial killer killing hookers. Um, and Susan Tyrell is her weirdo-ass landlord. <laughs> there are a lot of WTF moments and... Um... You know, I, I, I wish we had watched it uh, with better video quality because the one on YouTube didn't have the best quality. Yeah, the, uh, the, the sequel is easier to find on streaming. But, but it is enjoyable. I can't wait to watch it because that's the one RuPaul had filmed some. Uh, there, there's a famous uh, line of Susan Tyrell's and that about like, soon you'll be fighting for, on your back, fighting for fish heads and rice in Calcutta. Oh, God. And lastly, Forever Mine. Uh, Paul Schrader film from 1999 starring the recently deceased Ray Liotta, Joseph Fiennes, and Gretchen Maul. Uh, mm, it's a little lackluster, but I like Ray Liotta a lot. But Joseph Fiennes, I don't... I know, you know, circa 1998 Shakespeare in Love era, he was kind of a, a heartthrob, but... Uh. All right, moving on to projects of interest. Something called Our Son... Yeah, uh, Luke Evans and Billy Porter are playing a couple that are divorcing and trying to get rights to their eight-year-old son. Mm, that's an interesting that couple. That is an interesting couple. I don't know how I feel about that Billy, one. Billy Porter also directed a movie about a trans kid's high school experience that's coming out next month. And then is Arachnophobia being remade? Arachnophobia is being remade by Christopher Landon, who's the son of you-know-who. I would be very interested in seeing that. Uh that's yeah. the gay guy. Yeah. He yeah, did, Christopher he Landon. Michael Landon's son who directed... Um, Freaky Friday. Or? Freaky Friday and the Happy Death Day film. Is it called Freaky Friday or Freaky? Freaky. Yeah. Freaky is, Friday is with Lindsay Lohan. Well, Jodie Foster technically, but oh, the remake okay. is Lindsay Lohan, yes. All right. Unfortunately, there's an entry in the obituary section. I think we missed it from last week, but oh, Bo well, Hopkins died. He was 84 uh, in a lot of Sam Peckinpah films. Um, 
you'd probably recognize him if you saw him, but yeah. Well, goodbye to this man. So our secret movie you alluded to last week because you attempted to watch it on the plane back from Cannes Mm -hmm. and you said it was so ridiculous you knew you had to stop and watch it with me Mm -hmm. so we could talk about it. And I could not guess what it was. Well, okay, so I had the year wrong. I said 1994 because a couple people reached out like, is it Exit to Eden? Is it um, Color of Night? No, it was a 1993 film. Uh, directed by Adrian Lyne, uh, which kind of uh, s- slowed his role for a while. So the film you're talking about is Indecent Proposal, oh. <laughs> starring Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson and Robert Redford. Yes. Uh, we have 34 minutes. Uh, we might need it all because I have so many notes. This movie is ridiculous. <laughs> I know. I, I was howling on the plane and I had to stop. Uh, oh my God. Um, it's directed by who? Adrian Lyne. What do I know this person? Oh my God. So, uh, Fatal Fatal Attraction, Nine and a Half Weeks, Jacob's Ladder, uh, this, and we reviewed his uh, first film in 20 years, Deep Water. Indecent Proposal was nominated for seven Razzies and it won four of them for Worst Picture, Worst Supporting Actor for Woody Harrelson, Worst Screenplay. Oh no, it just won three. No, it won four. Worst screenplay, worst supporting, worst picture. No, it was three. Anyway. Um, interesting. So Amy Landon Jones was the screenwriter, and uh, I think we can blame a lot of this on her fault. It's based on a book, but only loosely. Like, there's a tangent of the book, because uh, the book is about Israeli-Saudi political relationships, and there's some character that does what the Redford character does in the book. But she, um, Halle Berry, we can get back to this, had tried, wanted to be in this film, and Halle Berry eventually starred in a movie directed by Amy Landon Jones called The Rich Man's Wife. And when Halle Berry was doing John Wick Press with Angelica Houston, do you remember that? Yeah. Somebody asked her, like, is there a movie of hers that she hated? And it was, she said, The Rich Man's Wife. Oh. <laughs> okay, the basic story is Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson are married and they uh, have financial trouble. They need $50,000. So Woody Harrelson borrows 5000 from his dad and decides to go to Vegas to gamble it and hopefully, you know, make tenfold. He's there. He's up like Cardi B and then he's down. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're in a bad way. But during this little like weekend of gambling, Robert Redford plays a billionaire who's like a high roller at the Hilton where they're gambling and he spots Demi Moore. Mm-hmm. And somehow she takes his breath away. Some Somehow, yes. So at the peak of their like uh, sadness, <laughs> the, uh, and right as they're about to leave, Robert Redford sees her and Woody and says, Hey, come be my good luck charm. Come sit with me. And he like gambles all this money. A million dollars. He, and he wins. So he wins like his money back. And he says, I want to treat you guys to like a beautiful suite, buy whatever you want. You know, I I really want to thank you. And then he invites them to like a party. And at the party, Robert Redford proposes. An indecent. And he, and he, an indecent proposal. He offers Woody and Demi a million dollars for one night with Demi Mm -hmm. to have sex with her, obviously. And after very little uh, back and, well, more back and forth than I would need. They agree. It happens. And then their relationship falls falls apart, primarily because Woody's character is so jealous and <laughs> preoccupied with what he already knows they did, yeah. which we can get into. So it destroys their marriage. They actually end up uh, filing for divorce. Well, they're also part of that is they get the million and then they go try to buy their property back because he's an architect. And their financial problems revolve around them about to lose their, their dream home. In Santa Monica, that's only half constructed. And they're like, you're two days late. Uh, somebody has already, uh, it's under contract with somebody else. And that happens to be Robert Redford. But anyway, they their relationship sort of deteriorates. And during that time, Robert Redford is like, persistently trying to get Demi. He wants her. And... Don't know why. We can talk about it, but it's like, she doesn't want him, and all of a sudden, she does. And then... It ends with... Him, Robert Redford, realizes that she will never love him. So, he... 
he basically like dogs her out, like tells her, oh, you're part of the million dollar club or whatever. And I've had many women like you, but you're the best one, like trying to hurt her feelings. And then she just goes, oh, well, I think I should probably leave. But thank you. It's a very uh, like sweet exit. I would have been pissed. She goes, let me out of the car. Well, no, she just says, could you pull the car over? Yeah. And then she gives him a kiss and says, thank you. And then she gets, they drop her off at the bus stop. And then she goes to the pier because they're in Los Angeles. So it looks like they're in Santa Monica. Paradise Paris, Cove. Or Paradise, yeah, wherever, like Malibu. And it's a foggy morning. And she goes to the pier where Woody Harrelson proposed to her. And he's just there. And he's just there. And then they share a line several times about, have I ever told you I love you? And so she tells him that. And then we're to assume that they're going to get back together. The end. Okay. This story is the epitome of, like, it just feels like in the, like, early 90s, like, how people saw monogamy and sex and being sort of very conservative and... Um, well, this this was quite a scandalous film because I remember my parents talking about it. Oh, I remember my mom talking with like her friend. I remember like my friend's parents or like you know that mom talking about it, and I remember my mom renting it and then saying like we couldn't watch it. Mm-hmm. So I've never seen it. I remember my parents renting my dad being like, "I hate this movie." Oh, I don't even. Well, <laughs> should I just start going through my notes and then you can add to it? Sure. All right. So. <laughs> well, I think it should have been called "One Flew Over the Cuck's Nest." Yeah. <laughs> well, they have a line about cuckoo birds too. But then it's kind of weird because, oh God, like Robert Redford is not appealing. I don't think so. And Woody Harrelson's not unappealing. So the whole cuckold thing feels like, yeah, but like in like a weird reverse. But anyway, um, the film opens with sort of a flashback of Demi and Woody's like romance. Like they met when they were very young Mm -hmm. and we see Woody driving in a pickup truck and you know, they try to de-age him by putting like longer hair on him and giving him like seventies clothes. Uh And then we see Demi sitting in the back of the truck and she looks like the girl from the ring. She has this like ratty, long, dark hair. And then she smiles. And she has braces. And her teeth are covered in like these old school braces. Oh, it's And that's within the first like three minutes. That's when I knew I'm like, okay, we're And then yeah, I was like, oh no. Even the opening song, which apparently was also nominated for a Razzie, which is performed by Lisa Stanfield. It sounded like it could have been in the movie The Room. Yes, and then uh, they have terrible... The, the screenplay is so bad, but they have alternating narration from both these characters. Oh, and the dialogue is so corny. But then... then so then we see them like they're the perfect couple. Mm-hmm. But then we cut to like modern... Like now where they are in their relationship currently. Demi gets mad because Woody is excessively messy. Like unreasonably messy. Like we see... You know those commercials for like... Um, like a child's... Well, you know the commercials where it's like... There's a tool to help quicker you... Quicker picker up or... Something like it. that. And then they show the people who can't close a jar properly. Yeah. Or they and can't the, close a crushed Oreos that get all over. Yeah, them. like Woody Harrelson. Like we see him making like a one of those Elvis Presley sandwiches. And he's pouring honey out of the jar. And the honey is just dripping everywhere. And he's totally oblivious to it. He has his dirty soccer cleats or baseball cleats... On the kitchen table, mm-hmm. his laundry is everywhere, and Demi is furious. And they start fighting. Like, she's throwing shit she at him. She throws the shoe at his head. She hits him. She hits him, and then she has, a like, a butter knife on him. She And then she starts laughing, and then they start having sex. While a shirt starts on fire. Well, I think it was a pair of underwear. Uh, pair of, yeah. But then she goes, your pants are on fire, but it was underwear. And then his pants are on fire, and then we just cut to them having financial problems. Because then we're told that there's a recession. She's a real estate agent. He's an architect. She's like, I haven't made a sale in six months. In LA? Even during a recession, you made a sale in six months. So I just wrote down that these people seem like fragile spirits. They do. And it's like, they're told by Oliver Platt, his lawyer college friend, that... Like you, you didn't keep up on the payments. Like you didn't do anything for six months. Um, we can. I'm so okay. Even before we get there, the 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 moment when we're told they're having problems, Demi sitting on the toilet, crying, crying with her panties around her ankles. So she's using the bathroom while Woody is standing there brushing his teeth. She's shaving. crying or shaving. Sorry. Then when Woody's buddy slash lawyer is. She- He's like, I don't know, maybe I'll 
drive a cab and she's like make it go away also the use of the lawyer is so weird because i'm assuming they needed that character to help construct the contract between robert redford much and like Jeff. 50 shades yeah. of gray yeah but then it's so stupid like are these people so dumb that they don't understand how a mortgage works? Like, you're 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 defaulting. Your home is going to foreclosure. The bank is going to seize your assets, and because oh my god! But they're living currently in a beautiful place with a garden in the back. How they are you currently, paying for that? They currently live in a beautiful home in L.A. But then his dream. We're we're told they, that they don't have money, but they have this beautiful home, and they both work. Like, have professional Ish. jobs, so we're made to think. Then they buy this big plot of land on the beach in Santa Monica where he's building his dream home. And they say, we had to sort of, like, pinch our pennies to be able to do this. And it's like, how much money were you making that you were able to just pinch pennies to build a new home? In Santa Monica. In Santa Monica. In the 90s, even. So the, ma they, so the math ain't mathing. And then she <laughs> says something like, but while they're doing the penny pinching, so she's like, he would just take me around LA and to look at architecture he likes. And why? And I'd say, why are we looking at this car wash? And then he'd tell me that you don't use your eyes to look at it. He made me look at things differently. Oh, my just God. Like, you, it's, just, this, it's written by a woman... It makes this woman seem so stupid. I hated the lawyer. Who played the lawyer? Oliver Platt. Oh my God. Who's always kind of like Ugh. icky. And it's like, you need your lawyer to explain to you that you're defaulting on your loan? Okay. So then they go to Vegas. They get the proposal. When I tell you, it's just, it's so funny watching things from a different lens. Like, obviously, we're watching it 30 years later um, as... Our society has evolved in some ways and then also like, you know, we're probably less sexually repressed as a society. And then just as an individual, to me, it was like, if someone approached me and said, I'll give you a million dollars to sleep with your husband, bitch, you can give me a million pennies. And I would say yes. Like, what? I and then we're, we're like in financial ruin. They're in dire straits, according to them. So a million dollars. And then they're still like, uh, I would tell you, cause it's. Posting them hypothetically, he's like, what would you say if I asked to sleep with your wife for a million dollars? And Demi's like, he'd tell you to go to hell. Okay, but before that happens, when they're up gambling, like they took their they took their five thousand and made it into like twenty five thousand mm -hmm. that first night. Mm -hmm. So they're in their hotel room, and they are like throwing the money on each other, and then and <gasps> oh, then we yeah, get this... a sex scene with Sade's "No Ordinary Love" in the background. And they're having sex with like the month, this dirty ass casino money, like all over them. I wrote, they are disrespecting this money. Oh my God. It, it's so terrible. Um, of course they lose the money. And then the final sort of bet, like I, I think they're playing roulette. Mm -hmm. They are playing roulette. Yeah. That final bet with all of their money, when they lose, Demi tries to grab the chips. Like, bitch, is this your first time in a casino? I'm I surprised know. they didn't fucking like. <laughs> I Hit know. her with a billy club. Um, again, oh. again, also, I, it's not that Demi is not beautiful. I don't find her particularly captivating. And what she's, the spell she's put over Robert Redford, who also I don't find captivating, it, it's just so hammy. I don't think she's unappealing. She kind of reminded me of like Kristen Stewart in the, like, she's, she's not unappealing. And but attraction a, is subjective. A million so. dollars? A million dollars. Yeah, but dollars. you, I mean, look at the people you found very attractive. Like, that's for you. Like, you don't have to. Sure. So it's not, it's not fair to say, like, you don't think she's attractive. Who cares what you think? Like, that Robert Redford thought she was attractive. Oh, so I get it. And also, he's super rich. So he's, he, he's trying to control people. He's, yes. He wants things and he's going to get them. The well, way. his whole story about why he, we do get a little background about why he's pursuing her this way. Because a woman got away like that in his youth. 30 right? years prior, and he said that every day for the past 30 years, he, he, he thinks about her and, and regrets her getting away. Which again is like, you know, this is a very touchy subject for me about people. Like, people want you, but they're not concerned if you want them. Mm -hmm. Like, this lady smiled at you on a subway, and you spent 30 years regretting you couldn't have her. How do you, how do you know that bitch it, even liked you? Maybe she was just being polite. It's very like, much like... Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, where, where Mina Harker, you look just like the love I lost, so I must have you. It's so rapey to me when people act that way. It's like, are you, are you concerned at all with the other person being interested in you? Clearly not. No. But, but we're getting ahead of ourselves on my list because um, when Robert Redford's character asks Demi to like sit with him as his good luck charm, 
an unrecognizable Billy Bob Thornton yes. is talking to Woody Harrelson about Robert Redford's character, saying that he's like a billionaire and he gets what he wants, blah, blah, blah. I, I didn't recognize him. Yeah, he used to be kind of chubby. Yeah, the extra weight really changed his face. Um, okay, getting to Robert Redford. They use like soft lighting on him in some shots and that doesn't really help. Like no. he's not... I mean, I was looking at pictures of him from back in the day, and it's like I could see why people thought he was appealing. I oh, don't. from like Barefoot in the Park. And yeah, what I mean, Butch to Cassidy. Me, to, to me, he's not anything to get excited about, but certainly like in this movie. And then he has gross hands. Like he has old man. He has old man everything, but he has old man hands and ugly fingernails. Just like ugh, they couldn't find a different. I mean, I guess Robert well, Redford was a big deal in 1993. Yeah, yeah. But I think I read that originally it was supposed to be a project for Nicole Kidman, Tom Cruise, and Warren Beatty. That would have been interesting. Uh, but They I probably mean, read the script and said, hell no. The script is really bad. <laughs> okay, so, you know, I used to work in a casino uh, in Las Vegas doing casino marketing. So I'm very familiar with these high rollers and, like, being in the pit. Mm -hmm. So watching the scene where Robert Redford's character request like a million dollars to gamble and watching the pit boss get all sweaty because of course we don't want them to win that was giving me like flashbacks of my time working and like you know i always have a million stories that i'm not going to talk about now but that was the only part of the movie that kind of like had my attention and when he the pit boss like squeezes his coffee cup his styrofoam coffee cup when robert redford like doubles his million the pit boss like because he's sweating which is not consistent. Sometimes he's sweating, sometimes he's dry. But when he realizes Robert wins, he like, yeah, squeezes his coffee cup. It's so cheesy. I read that they, uh, Michael Bay shot those scenes with the dice. Oh, interesting. Which is strange, yeah. We do get a little um, cameo from Sheena Easton. Yeah. Because Robert Redford apparently travels with his own pianist and his own lounge singer. Mm -hmm. So we do get to see her. And you know... Talking about how you don't think she's that pretty. It's like, y'all should have cast Sheena Easton. I know. She's somebody to pay a million dollars for. Well, well, it's just like, you know, Demi Moore in the 90s, who notoriously had that string of flops after Ghost, right? Yeah. With, in all, like, very adult films, this, and Striptease, and uh, G.I. Jane, and The Juror. I could see a Nicole Kidman. I could see, like, a Kim Basinger. I, I yeah. just think that it does kind of feel... Well, the way Demi's styled, and she's wearing these, like, frumpy clothing you know they give her that terry mugler dress well when robert redford's character first sees her she's in the gift shop in the casino and she's like eyeing this five thousand dollar black strappy dress and then she's like she's wearing like a white tank top without a bra and of course has an amazing body so you know when he sees her initially she does look better than just frumpy sure but she still has this air about her of like oh you like this impoverished this impoverished vagabond like what is it about the, her? The dialogue is so cliched. Like, it's just, you know, at a, like, of, of course, Demi tells Robert, like, some things aren't for sale. And, and, that, then, and that seems to be what really got him interested. Like, now he has a challenge on his hands. Getting back to Halle Berry. Okay, some things that I thought, so the story, I think, is just, it's so poorly written and constructed, and the dialogue's so bad. But I think what would have made more sense to me is... The proposal, first of all, these characters are in such dire straits that I think, I think it would have, like, like it makes sense to me that they need motivation for this. Mm -hmm. In 1993, from a traditional standpoint, like, yeah, it would have to be a very serious reason why you would consider this. But I think the fact that Woody Harrelson's character gets so jealous over something that was like exactly what this man was paying for. I think it was a mistake to make... It's not like you told me you were going to have coffee with someone and then I find out you went to a gangbang. Right. It's like, okay, well, that's not what you said. It's like, this man literally said, I'm going to pay you a million dollars to have sex with your wife tonight. And then he's mad about the fact that they... Oh, my God. There's a helicopter scene. Oh, yeah, because he's changed his mind and he tries to chase after them. Woody has second thoughts and then we get a, sh a scene of him running through the casino like a crazy person, getting on the elevator. Then the way the elevator... The elevator scene actually feels like Michael Bay because it's just like the camera works all over the place. Woody is like writhing in agony. He runs out, bangs on the door of where he... The penthouse. The penthouse. 
breaks in the housekeeper's freaking out like no they're not no está aquí and then she's like they're up 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 like helicopter and then she says it like i don't know how to say helicopter in spanish but she says it like helicopterero upstairs so woody runs upstairs and the helicopter's pulling off and woody's running like and screaming screaming her name d no he's screaming d but then after the the deed is done we don't know how much time has passed they're back home gardening and he's mad he finds matches from the um, from the yacht. Old boy has uh, designer matches with his yacht with his yacht his symbol on it. Griffin, and he's and not, he, pronou- he mispronounces. He Griffin. does, but it's so weird because it's it's just like you, you, you left with him. You went on a to Santa Barbara on a boat, motherfucker. You saw me leaving a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Where did you think we were going? Like the Grand Canyon. And then it's like we should talk about. It. No, we shouldn't talk about. It. It's like clearly you guys need to. talk But what about is it. there to talk about? Like, I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but it's like you knew your wife was having sex with this man, but now you're like in agony thinking about the fact that she might have had sex with him. That she you know she it. did, but then it boils down to did you enjoy it? And she says yes. And it's like I just don't understand. Oh my God. Then it's so poorly done. Like the scene where they decide to say yes, it's because Demi brings it up. Like, well, we do need this money. We can change our lives. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, it's just sex. It's not like my mind. It's just my body. And then she goes, well, it can't be any worse than that time I slept with Bubba Sparks or whatever. And he's like, what? You slept with Bubba? When? And she's like, well, when you were running around with that slut, Christy Turlington or whatever the day was. She said something like, she formatted that girl's last name as like Dago. Like oh, that's Dag- right, Daigle, like Christy Daigle. And he he corrected her. But it's like okay, and then they start giggling and laughing, and then it's clear like they're okay with it. So I guess I like the character work, and we should have spent more time with well, how this couple arrived at the decision to do it. Then it's done. I do like that they don't show it because it doesn't matter. And then the like the disintegration of their relationship, and then how Demi's character falls in love with this man, too stupid to realize that he's like she's just the, like a toy that he bought. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it doesn't press again to how disappointing written by a woman, and who knows, maybe her original script was modified. That discussing how this 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 woman is treated like she's the property of. Both of these men. Yeah, it doesn't delve into the serious issues of, like, yeah, like, how this woman's being treated well, when and how that might affect how... We, we don't really ever get, a, a, like, the sense that she's processed that her husband sold her, basically. Yeah. And then when Robert Redford tells her, if you were mine, I wouldn't share you with anyone. It's like, well, she really belongs to herself. Right. And so where is that dialogue happening? But, oh, but we mentioned Halle Berry because I thought, like, so many things could have been more interesting, like... Yeah, they didn't want a racial undertone, which, of course, the optics of a, a rich white man buying a, a black woman... Yeah, I could see that being, like, probably, like, people wouldn't really like that. So it makes sense to me why but, maybe she didn't get but cast. But think of how race could have played into this scenario in really interesting ways, like, what if the billionaire was black? anything would have been more interesting than this. It was so, like, so predictable. Um, The scene where, so Woody calls his lawyer, Oliver Platt, to say, like, hey, I need you to help me with a contract. And his lawyer is in a meeting with, like, these two gay guys who want him to represent them. Who wrote a script. Who wrote a script. And the, the, the lawyer says, here, I'll put him on speakerphone. Why? Why would you do that? And then as he's talking about, like, well, someone wants to pay a million dollars to sleep with, you know, Demi. And then it's just like, he's still on speakerphone. That shit was so annoying. He's like, what? You could, I could have, you could have gotten, gotten you two, two million, million for she's, a woman no, like Diana. Yeah, he goes, she's at least worth two million. Oh, so gross. No, okay. so stupid. The other thing that annoyed me was that Demi, after she agrees to do it, she has the shittiest attitude mm-hmm. for the entire movie towards Robert Redford. That's Up where, until she doesn't. That's where you got that Kristen Stewart vibe, I think. Oh my God. It's like, why... I don't understand why her character was made like that. Like, why did she agree to this and then not approach it as like, well, I've decided to do this thing. I'm just going to have fun with it. Nope. She's fucking miserable with him. Every time she sees him after their lives have moved on, she's fucking miserable. And then we cut to towards the end. Like, it's the 90 minute mark. 
when all of a sudden we see her dressed in like fancy clothes, diamond earrings, getting out of a Rolls Royce with Robert Redford going to dinner. And it seems like they're a couple. Mm -hmm. And it's not well explained like, so are you officially done with, we don't know how much time has passed. We assume several months because they talk about the recession's over and blah, blah, blah. The recession's over. And, and that she took a job and he's got a, a job. So time has passed, but the, the film does not explain, like, how did she all of a sudden, like, 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 does she love this man? Because she's leaving the man she did love to be with him. So is it just the money? Because she never talks about money. In fact, they both say they're going to give the money away. So I don't understand what she saw in him. How okay. do you, how do you, what did you think about the importance of the hippos? Oh God. Then there's a scene with like a hippo and then we get like visuals of like a hippo in nature with like a plush toy. And then Woody decides to give away the money mm -hmm. at this by auction. buying like a hippo. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I couldn't believe that they like he, he did that. Okay. After they come back from Vegas, they have the million dollars. They immediately go to the real estate agency mm -hmm. to say, hey, we're ready to pay off the money we owe. And the agent, who was also disgusting, mm -hmm. he's like, sorry, you're two days late. You snoozy Well, lose. no one warned us. What? You knew that you were about to default. You had been warned by your lawyer. You're two days late. And then the guy says, um, well, we called you. And we sent you a certified letter that got returned because you weren't home. Mm -hmm. And then Demi's like, well, we were out of town. It's like, you know what? You two people are so incompetent and so ridiculous. You deserve well, each other a, and you deserve to be broke without this house. Well, with a million dollars, you could go buy a different space. And then that was my next thought. Like with a million dollars, you could have bought your dream house. Why are you tripping off of... But she makes it a point to find out who's under contract, finds out it's Johnny Gage... And then goes Robert and, make, Robert Redford makes, and goes and makes a scene. It's like you. She goes and flips a table like Teresa Giudice style. Yes, but it's like you. That was a signal that he is playing with you. Stay away. And then right, and then he keeps following her, and then he shows up at her job and says like, "I want you to show me a house." And Demi's boss says, "You're going to show this man this house, or you're fired." So they go house shopping, and then what I thought was such a ridiculous scene: they're driving like through Bel Air or something. And then they look at a house. Robert doesn't like it. They see another house and he's like, oh, I like that one. And she's like, well, that's at least 30 million and it's not for sale. And he says, everything's for sale. Mm -hmm. So they get out of the car and they're just walking through this like mansion, walking in these people's grass. They walk into their fucking house. And then she goes. And then it's at that point, Demi goes, is this your house? Bitch. I can't... You're a real estate agent who just walked into someone's she, occupied house. He goes, it is. Tell me what it's missing. A woman's touch, basically. No, she's like a life. It's, it very much feels structured like a 1950s melodrama where... Uh, like a women's picture, but without an interesting woman at the center of it. it yeah. <laughs> I thought the only, the only thing about this script that works is that... It's made clear that Robert Redford's character just wants to collect things. And I yeah. think that should have been the angle. Like how this person's just playing with people and he ruined this relationship. But, you know, ultimately we're made to think that they get back together, Woody and Demi. But then it's like, we don't, I'm not rooting for these people. They're both stupid and like, who cares if they get back together or not? Okay, then there's another scene where Woody is at home and he has a pair of like dirty, like soil covered Chuck Taylors on the kitchen table. What's wrong with him? Have you ever seen someone put dirty ass shoes on the no. kitchen table? No. That no. doesn't even make sense. No. Nope. He's so excessively messy. It's like, is that supposed to like, I don't know if the film's trying to give us reasons why Demi would be tired of him because the only reason they're giving us is that he's messy, mm -hmm. which is not a reason. I would have left your ass a long time ago. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like Me? I don't do that. No, you don't. But I'm saying it's such a flimsy sure. reason. Like, yes, I think you're messy. But, like, that can't be the only reason that I would leave you. Like, what else has he done? And then he's jealous. But that's not... I mean... He, that... just, he can't let it go is, is what it is. And... Okay. Then at a point, Demi says that she needed something to do to occupy her mind. Not because she needs money. So she starts teaching citizenship classes. There's a moment where they, they they first separate and it's not for sure how long. And she's like, I got very good staring at walls. Oh my God. You basic 
Ugh. And then it's like the film is not explaining how much time is passing and what are, like, how do they feel about each other? We do get a scene where Woody is like tearing, like, pictures of himself with Demi, like tearing them in half. And then later in the film, we see that he's taped them back together oh up my on God. the wall. Then Robert Redford's character has, you know, every movie with a billionaire, they have their ubiquitous, like, assistant who does all their dirty work. Oh, yeah, Seymour Cassell. Yeah. So Seymour Cassell is his assistant. And we see, I don't understand what this character was thinking because. There's a point where Woody confronts Demi and Woody saying, like, I want you back. Don't you love me? And then he's super drunk and faints. And then Seymour Cassell's character, like, carries him back to the Rolls Royce, drives him home and dumps him on the couch. And then he sees all the torn pictures that have been taped together of Woody and Demi. And he just has a look on his face that was so confusing. Like, is that supposed to convey that... He thinks that, like, he feels sorry for this man mm -hmm. or that he thinks this man is stupid. Mm -hmm. I hated that. Like, what is the filmmaker trying to tell us mm -hmm. about anything? Also, um, you just pulled up Rip Taylor. Rip Taylor. Rip Taylor's in the movie playing Demi's boss. Uh -huh. Just such random people in this thing. And then uh, Myra J and uh, who else did you recognize playing craps? Oh, um, Ed... Edwanda uh, White. Edwanda Ed, Ed White is a, a stand-up comedian who has a special on YouTube I really like. But yeah, she's one of the people playing craps. Um, and then Billy Connolly uh, playing himself as the MC at this auction. Ugh. I just think it's so anticlimactic. Like, uh, what's his name? Robert Redford's character realizes that Demi's never going to love him. But then it's like, who cares what he feels because he's... He clearly just wants to, like, he just wants what he wants. Because there's even a moment when Woody's lawyer says, oh, yeah, John Gage or Johnny Gage, he's a poon hound. Yeah. So he's a notorious playboy. Like Ted Nugent. So I'm just thinking, like, was, Ro like, the filmmaker also doesn't make it clear whether or not Robert Redford's character really wanted love. It's, he has no characterization. Right. He's so it's like, no. who cares? Who I couldn't care less about the three main characters and where they end up. No, no. They're all bland, problematic people. That, that, that They're not... This, this, this couple doesn't seem very keen on survival skills. Ugh. Uh, yeah. It, then when he drops her off at the bus stop, I was like, oh my God. And she starts running. And, and then, then he gives her like a 50 cent coin like for good luck. I just think like, this man ruined... Your life, basically. And now you don't have money. You're, and now you don't have money. You, you lost your dream You have home. a hippo. You have a hippo somewhere in Africa that you bought with this million dollars. Like... And to, for a trite ending that's where he says... Woody Harrelson tells her at the end that uh, he had to learn that um, to forgive, not forget. If anyone out there wants to pay to have sex with my husband, please reach out. Oh my we God. can work out a deal. Oh my God. I mean, not for cheap, cheap, but... What would what would what would we accept? What? No. <laughs> I'd have to think about that. Anyway, uh, you know this kind of slowed Adrian Lyne's role because he didn't do another film until he remade Lolita in '97 with Dominique Swain and uh, Jeremy Irons, which I remember when I met you, you had on VHS because you liked some handsome young thing in that. I, I don't remember. Lolita. Who. Yeah. Oh, Ben Whit Ben Wentworth. Okay. He's in the movie Get Real. Oh, get, yeah, okay. I liked him as a 20-year-old. I mean, you know, 23 years later. Sure. I, don't, uh, I wouldn't find him a piece. He was then, like a kid. But but then he remade Chabrol's um, Unfaithful Wife is Unfaithful with Diane Lane. And then, of course, we didn't hear anything from twenty for 20 years from Adrian, Adrian Lyne until Deep Water. Um, I, do, I haven't seen Nine and a Half Weeks with Kim Basinger, by the way. But I think I've seen every other Adrian Lyne film. And this definitely is by far the worst thing. I would heard. recommend this with like, you know, like some friends and some wine and you can just talk shit about it. But it, that's the only way it would be enjoyable. It is like striptease, though. It's hard to watch because it's just so dumb. It was hard to sit through. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Where, unlike something like Showgirls, which is on a whole nother level. Of, oh, we need to watch Showgirls, too. Oh, Pennies from Heaven. Pennies from <laughs> Heaven. Yeah, I've never seen that. Yeah, we need to watch that. Okay, well, that was Indecent Proposal. We have a busy week. Uh-huh. Because we have events and then... Events? Well, I have an event. Oh. Yeah. On to, uh, I have that going away party. Did I tell you about that? Who's going away? Someone at work. Oh, pff, wow. 
Uh, and then we're going to see two movies. Uh, Jurassic Park is this week. Lightyear. Um, the cartoon. The, uh, yeah, that. Which I'm not really looking forward to. Um, again, we, I wanted to make sure we review After Blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, I want to say thank you for the people who are sponsoring us on Anchor. <laughs> um, that's very sweet. Yeah. And that's all I have. Okay. Do you have a quote? Oh, are you reading anything? No. I'm reading uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth by Walter Tevis, which of course was made into a, a brilliant film by Nicholas Rogue, which I actually, I'm almost done with the book, which, and I prefer Nicholas Rogue's David Bowie star. Uh, and of course, there was a prequel television series starring Chiwetel Ejiofor and, is it Naomi Harris? Uh, and I forget what channel that's on, but I, I, I have an interest in watching that. Uh, really, I want to, I, I think I would love for maybe that to be a secret film sometime, but. Oh. Um, yeah. Well, I get to pick the film next week, so we'll see what I come up with. We have had several requests, which we always We have a appreciate. lot of requests. Um, there's one in particular. What, what's the one that we don't... We don't have the film. I found it on streaming. What is it called? The Army of something. Yeah. But anyway, is that all you have? Yeah. Okay, ta-ta. Bye. Ha! <laughs>